Yes, you're listening to January the 13th. It's Friday the 13th in the year of our Lord, January 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and you're listening to Law and Gospel. Normally on Fridays, we react to emails, but if you'll recall, during the last three Fridays we had in 2022, we were really summarizing sermons that we had on Advent Wednesdays. And we talked about the rescue by incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and today we're going to be talking about rescue by Christ's ascension. Now, rescue simply means being saved. And when Jesus rescues us, he does pay part of his efforts in the sense he is whipped, he is crucified, he is mocked. So it's not a rescue without part of him being hurt because he's dealing with our sins. The incarnation, if you'll recall, we talked about referring not to his birth, but to Gabriel's announcement to Mary nine months before the birth. That's when she became pregnant with Jesus. Because just a few hours after Gabriel talked with her, she entered in the home of Elizabeth, her cousin, who was pregnant with John the baptizer, who leaped in the womb for joy because Jesus, a few hours in the womb of Mary, had entered into the room. So the incarnation we are rescued by because it takes a human being to pay for the sins of human beings. That's how God announced it and how he, with the Holy Trinity, decided it before the foundation of the world. So in his incarnation, the first part of our rescue had been accomplished. And it is clear that Jesus, in his incarnation, was also born to die. Yes, we remember he shed blood eight days after his birth at his circumcision. And of course, he shed blood on the cross. So the incarnation is very, very important as a rescue of Jesus for us. Then who would deny his crucifixion? But it wasn't just that he was crucified. Something else happened that resulted in our being rescued. Jesus even said the words from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, he said this in Aramaic in the New Testament, although it is a quote from the Hebrew Psalm 22 by King David. And the idea of being forsaken 
means he was left alone, left alone to pay for the sins on the cross. Nobody else was there to help him. No angel came to him, as had happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, to strengthen him and comfort him in the ongoing mission given by the Father. That being forsaken or left alone means that we are rescued, that God will never leave us alone. He never will forsake us who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is really helpful. People go through a lot of problems in the world, and Jesus is there for believers at all times. And that's because of the crucifixion where he was left alone by the Father to pay for our sins. Then we get to the resurrection. What was the Bible verse that we spoke of in the rescue by the resurrection? It was the first words of Jesus when he met with the disciples on the night of the resurrection. He went into a locked room, appeared before them, and the very first words he said, peace be with you. That wasn't something that the disciples had expected because they had rejected Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, they all ran away. Only John was at the crucifixion and he at a distance. So can you imagine? Jesus has said that he has come back from the dead. Wouldn't you be a little concerned about that in light of what you had done to him, especially Peter, in betraying him three times at the court of Pontius Pilate? Aren't you one of those? No, no. Never knew the man. In fact, Peter even swore that he did not know Jesus. So, his resurrection, though, that peace which Jesus spoke of was not a peace in the world. No, there still will be wars, rumors of wars. There will be poor always until the end of time when judgment day occurs. So what peace is being spoken of? It's the peace that's found in 2 Corinthians 5, where it is said that God the Father is reconciled to believers. You see, this is the very opposite, we mentioned, of every other religion in the world. In every other religion, they want to be reconciled with God. And so they think God is the problem that he won't be reconciled to them because of their sins. So they either ignore sins as being serious or they try and do good works to offset their sinful life. They forget 
that all of us fall short of the glory of God. Good works are important, but they never become the reason for our justification. Justification refers to the fact that God declares us holy and saints in his eyes. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did in his suffering, death, and resurrection. This is not something that any other religion even comes near where God does the saving. He's the one responsible for our salvation. So the ascension is really important. First of all, let's take a look at where the ascension is even mentioned. It's recorded in Mark 16, verses 19 and 20, in Luke 24, verses 36 to 53, and in Acts 1, verses 6 to 12. First of all, Mark 16. This is the end of the book of Mark. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And the disciples went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So this really shows us a very important element in his ascension. Yes, Jesus went up into the clouds and disappeared, but in their preaching, the Lord was working with them and he confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And those signs were, of course, miracles, which the apostles did. Guess what? That also occurs today, that the Lord works with us in a worship service by the signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper. No pastor has the power to forgive sins, but we have the authority to do so, even for an infant who has recently been born. As we baptize them in the waters, we therefore are letting them go through the various events of Jesus' life that saved them. In baptism, according to Romans 6, you die with Christ. You also are raised from the dead after you are buried with Christ. This all occurs while you're living here on earth. In other words, the death that Jesus is talking about is a death to sin. And through Christ, belief in his gospel promises, we die already while we're here on earth living in sin. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then you are dead in sins. 
Jesus talks about the unbelieving Pharisees as the walking dead. So death and life mean something quite deeper by God than we think of it. We think that death occurs when somebody dies and is buried. No, death occurs when a person has faith in Jesus Christ, repents of their sins, and receives the forgiveness of sins. Another section of scripture talking about the ascension, Luke 24, beginning with verse 33. The disciples are talking about Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus himself stands among them and says to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Jesus does something that I think is the task of every preacher. It's verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, a preacher helps you to understand the scriptures if he has a proper seminary education, not just by translating the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek, but also in helping you to understand the English. Because a lot of times, the disciples knew what the Bible said, but they were not aware that it was Jesus that was fulfilling what the Bible says. And Jesus says to them in verse 46, Thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. See, that was something that Jesus had told the disciples. And remember Peter's response? No, Lord, you will not die in Jerusalem. We will protect you. And Jesus said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan because Peter was getting in the way of the fulfillment of Jesus' mission. And he said that repentance for the forgiveness of sins 
should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, what is he talking about there? He's talking about Pentecost when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit and were baptized. Then verse 50 continues. And Jesus then led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him because now the disciples had come to the realization that Jesus was not just a great prophet. He was God himself. They had missed that, even though he stood up in a boat and calmed a raging sea, which in the Old Testament only God could do even though he did many miracles that Jeremiah says portrays him as the coming Messiah, the Son of God. And even though the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7, who is God the Father, proclaims Jesus as the Son of Man who is sent into the world to redeem the world. So they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's our task in the church, to continually be in the church blessing God. Now the main text of his ascension is often Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Jesus had been with the disciples, and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So that's a promise that God will return. Jesus will be the judge. But Christians have no fear of Jesus being a judge. 
because he has forgiven the sins of every sinner who believes in him and believes the gospel promises. So how does his ascension rescue us? Well, if you take a look at the Old Testament, God left representatives to lead his people. We speak of them as prophets, priests, and kings. Jesus is also the prophet, priest, and king. But if you look at the Old Testament, the prophets, and that would be like, well, Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, Habakkuk and others, priests, one can even talk about Moses as a priest and others, and king or ruler, that would be like Joshua. So God used individual to become his prophet, priest, and king. And this was very important because when Jesus came to earth and was incarnated as a human being, he at that time also was prophet, priest, and king. He was prophet in that he spoke the word of God as his father had instructed him. He was priest. Two things the priest did in the Old Testament. They prayed for the people and they did sacrifices. The priest Jesus in the New Testament taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But he also, as priest, became the victim of the sacrifice on the holy cross. And of course, Jesus was king. How was he king? He was ruler over his disciples. They often refer to him as rabbi, which meant teacher. And so here on earth, Jesus became the prophet, priest, and king to those who followed him. But then he also became prophet, priest, and king when he ascended into heaven. But there, his function changed. He was prophet. How did that happen? Because when a pastor preaches the word of God properly, he is simply repeating the words of Jesus to the congregation. When the pastor says the words at baptism and the words of institution, it is really Jesus who is doing the baptism, who is giving his body and blood in the Holy Sacrament. It's not the pastor. The pastor is simply the voice of Jesus. As priest, the pastor therefore also serves the people 
with the liturgy and prays for the people, teaches them the meaning of the Lord's Prayer, and does many things in the worship service to help people understand that he is really standing in for the priest. And as king, how is Jesus king in his ascended state? He's king in that he sense he controls the whole world. Nothing happens without Jesus' permission. That means he rescues you while you are here on earth. And who does he rescue you from? He rescues you from the devil. He rescues you from the world. He rescues you from your evil flesh that continues to sin. And that rescue takes place by him announcing to you the forgiveness of sins, which he does when the pastor absolves your sin in a worship service after you have confessed that you're a poor, miserable sinner deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. So this is where we talk about the ascension of Jesus Christ, who came to rescue us and continues to rescue us. He is with you because in baptism, you receive the Holy Ghost, who leads you to do many good works, which are not really called good works that you have done, but are called fruit of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Spirit himself and motivated by your love for Jesus Christ. That's a great rescue because of his ascension. So that concludes rescue by his incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. We'll continue to be talking about that as we look at a Bible passage. We won't be here on Monday due to a vacation, but back on Tuesday. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.